We had the sonic boom at the end of the message. Today, we thought we would do it at the beginning, so we're, we're all set. Uh, I'm going to ask that you would uh, take your Bible or your phone or your tablet and turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. As we continue in uh, this high priestly prayer of Jesus, uh, and I want to make one comment. It's going to be verse 6 through 19 that we read. Verse 6 through 19, not 16 as it says on the screen. So we're going to be starting uh, right after the portion from last week. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 5 of John 17. Today we're going to look at 6 through, through 19. Follow along with me as I read. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. This is Jesus praying. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, this Lord's Day, that we can set aside for worship and fellowship with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you meet with us here through faith in Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your spirit that we might be instructed this morning as we turn to your word. We thank you for the worship we've already had. We pray that as we continue with this message, that it would continue to be worship and that you would teach us you would meet each one of us at our point of need. Heavenly Father, we are a needy people. 
And you know our needs even better than we know them ourselves. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would exalt Jesus, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Of, of what are you confident? What are you really confident, confident about in your, in your life? You know, I'm not really very confident in myself. Most people are confident in their own abilities. Most people in the world are confident in their own abilities. Frankly, I'm not really very confident in myself. Last week, my wife was with me. Today, she's unable to be here. But last week, my wife was with me, and I, I forgot to introduce her to you. I mean, what kind of a husband am I? I mean, really? You're going to meet to vote on me this little bit later. You really want a guy who forgets to introduce his wife the first time he visits a congregation? Uh, I, I really don't have a lot of confidence in, in my ability to remember even my wife? Really? What about you? Do you trust in your abilities? How much should you trust in your abilities? Uh, another illustration. See this little cup I have in my hand? Do you trust in your ability to get this thing open without spilling it all over everywhere? That is a challenge, my friends. That is my challenge. I, I worked on this for about five minutes before the sermon to make sure I got only the clear plastic up off the top. Not the pink, reddish plastic, but the clear plastic. I want to encourage you right now. If you haven't already done this, we're going to have communion actually as part of the conclusion to the message. If you haven't already done this, wait till there's a boring part in the message and then make sure you get the clear plastic open just a little bit and not the pink plastic, okay? Because, frankly, I don't trust my ability and probably we trust each one's ability. If you haven't got a cup yet, make sure you get one. They're available in the back. So... In what are we confident? Are, are, are we confident in the world around us? I don't think so. Circumstances have proven, especially in the last year, that we really can't have much confidence in the world around us, the economy or uh, health or any of, of that. But, you know, we can be confident in Christ. In fact, we should be confident in Christ, and we should demonstrate that confidence because Christ is a glorious Lord, he's a glorious Savior, he's glorious God. We talked about that last week in verses 1 through 5, that Christ is worthy of glory, ultimate glory, as Lord, as Savior, as God. And that he's not simply some cosmic sugar daddy. You know, we're not confident just in all of our temporal blessings, because frequently we don't get those. But he gives us a relationship with God as his ultimate priority. And we can be confident in that relationship with God because we can be confident in Christ, confident in Jesus. And we should demonstrate that in our lives. That's what this message is really all about. Some see this, uh, these verses 6 through 19 as somewhat different from the first five. I, I don't. I see it as a continuation. If Jesus is all-glorious, then... We should be ones who seek 
His glory, to demonstrate His glory. And we can be confident in doing that. And that's what He's praying for here. He knows the disciples then are listening. And He knows that we would read these words and would be listening ourselves. He has come to die in our place that the glory He brings to the Father, we also might bring that glory to Him as His children. So we have faith in Jesus. Is it just a matter of Christ in me for my good? Is that what we focus on? Is, is what Jesus does for me for my good? Yet we thank Him for the blessings. But He's most important. He's most interested in a relationship with us. He works out His glory in me. And ultimately, that's my good. You see, frequently when we talk about good, we think about good for me. Temporal blessings. But from God's perspective, our ultimate good is our relationship with Him and becoming more like Jesus. Both revolve around our relationship with Jesus. Our relationship with the Father is good, our ultimate good. And our becoming more like Jesus is ultimately good. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. So, Good can be defined by anything that brings us closer to God or makes us more like Jesus. Do we believe that? Ultimately, good can be defined by whatever, even if it's painful, even if it's difficult, even if it's challenging, even if we wish and pray that it weren't happening. It's good if it brings us closer to God. It's good if it makes us more like Jesus. And that's why Jesus prays here. Now, briefly, who's he praying for specifically? The first few verses of our passage, verses, verses 6 through 8, verses 6 through 10 actually, he's praying for some specific individuals. Let me read those verses again. Verse 6, I have revealed you, the Father, to those whom you gave me, the disciples then and us, out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They know with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. Who is Jesus praying for? Verse 6, those who have obeyed his word. The disciples them, us we hope now. Those who have obeyed his word. He's praying for people who have obeyed his word. Secondly, those who believe that the Father sent Jesus. Notice in verse 8 where he says, they knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. Do we believe that Jesus is Messiah? Do we believe that Jesus is the sent one from the Father to become our Redeemer as Lord? As Lord, he becomes our Redeemer. Do we believe that? He's praying for people who have obeyed his word and who believe that the Father sent him. But thirdly, and he does this in anticipation, he does this in anticipation, but verse 10, he says, And glory has come to me 
through them. Now remember, this is taking place the night before Jesus was crucified. This is the upper room. They're having the Last Supper. He's been teaching them about what they're going to face in the future. And, and now he's praying for them. It's the night before he was crucified. Before the night is over, all of his disciples will have fled. And yet, he says that he's praying because, past tense here, verse 10, glory has come to me through them. Isn't that amazing? Because he knows that his disciples will come back, will believe, will obey. He knows that he still will receive glory through those disciples. So, three characteristics of the people that Jesus is praying for, and that includes us even now. Those who obey his word, who believe that Jesus was sent from the Father as Messiah, and those who have brought glory to him, even as he anticipates that in our lives. Verse 10 is kind of the key verse for the whole passage. Bringing glory to Jesus. Remember, verses 1 through 5, Jesus was praying for the establishment of his glory. And now, this idea of us bringing glory to him becomes paramount in his prayer. But our confidence in doing that, our confidence in bringing Jesus' glory is rooted, grounded in the central petitions of this passage. We're going to take the remainder of our time and simply look at two petitions that Jesus prays because our confidence in bringing Jesus' glory is rooted in our protection, first, and our sanctification, Second, he prays for his believers' protection and their sanctification. First, protection. And this is found in verses 11 through 15. Why do we need protection? Why do we need protection? It's because we live in the world. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, again, says this. Verse 11 says this, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them. Protect them. We still live in this world. And this world, generally speaking, is antithetical to the gospel. This world is opposed, generally speaking, to the truths of of the gospel and we still live here we still live here we need protection what's protection protection has to do with with shielding from harm Jesus is praying that we would be shielded from the harmful characteristics of this world around us shielded from harm it's not that we're shielded from the existence of the problems of the world we we still have those problems. We still have those trials, right? It's not that we're shielded from the existence of the problems of the world, but we are shielded from their power. Do you see the distinction? We are no longer controlled by the power of the world's expectations, the power of the world's challenges. He has shielded us from harm, the harmful nature of the world, in trying to draw us away from him. He's praying for our protection that the challenges of the world would not draw us away from him. Notice how he does this. Notice how he does this. 
End of verse 11. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Verse 12. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. How does Jesus pray for our protection? By the name of the Father, by the name given Him. We are protected by the name. Now, some debate has gone on about what name this is. Well, I believe that if we think of the name Jesus, it encapsulates pretty much what this passage is talking about. Jesus simply means God saves or Yahweh saves. Notice in this passage that first Jesus says, protect them by your name, Yahweh. I am who I am. The perfect one, the holy one, the totally set apart one. Protect them by your name, Yahweh, the self-existent one, the totally other one. Protect them by your name. But then he goes on to say, by the name you've given me. Jesus, Yahweh saves. The salvific portion of Christ's work in coming to this world as he was sent by the Father. Now what does this mean? If, if it is that Yahweh saves is what Jesus is referring to, then basically we are protected by all that the character of God is. Because in the name Yahweh is the entire character of God. His character flows from His name, which means that we are protected by the revealed character of God. We are protected by all that He is. Can you imagine that? We are protected from the influences, the negative, evil influences of this world by all that God is. That's, that's unbelievable. It's just hard to, for us to imagine that we could be protected by everything that God is in this world, that it would not do us harm. Not that it might not feel painful, difficult, challenging, but that it won't draw us away from Him. And notice that He prays this, that, and this is in verse, in verse 12, prays this, that they may be one as we are one. He's praying for this protection for our unity, that we may be one as God the Father and Jesus are one. The Godhead is one, the perfect unity of the Godhead, our unity. But remember, this unity is for the specific purpose of glorifying Jesus. It's not that we're unified on every detail of life. It's not that we're unified in all of our uh, football teams. You, you know I'm a Raiders fan, so we can't possibly be unified on that. We're not unified in the trappings of this world. We're not unified on how to solve the economy. We're not even unified on whether or not we should wear masks. But we can be unified in glorifying Jesus. We can be unified in glorifying Jesus. Why? Because he has protected from the harm of this world, drawing us away from him. And so we can have unity in that. But it goes beyond that. Look at verse 13. This protection in verse 13. 
He says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. There should be joy in our lives because we are protected by all that God is. Jesus' salvation protects us from the evils of this world, drawing us away from him. Isn't that amazing? And that brings us joy, knowing that as we seek to bring him glory, he will protect us and we can have joy in that. But there's a second way in which he protects us. Specifically, he protects us by his name, but he protects us specifically from the evil one because Satan is real. Satan is real. Look again at verses 14 and 15. Jesus prays, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. We are protected by his name. We are protected from the evil one. Because Satan, the evil one, is the prince of this world. Jesus refers to Satan earlier in the Gospel of John several times as the prince of this world. He is the one who seeks to destroy us. He is the one who seeks to draw us away from Jesus and to prevent unbelievers from coming to Jesus in the first place. Satan is the one from whom we are protected. But, but notice how challenging this is for us. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Boy, that, that's rough. But it's because the evil one hates us. The evil one hates us. And he is using, as the prince of the world, he is using the world systems, the world cultures, the world's desires to attack us. He says, has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. We are not of this world, but we're still in it. It has been said that the church, meaning all believers, the church cannot make a difference in this world unless it is different from the world. I believe that's true. We can't make a difference. We can't bring glory to Jesus in this world unless we are different from the world. And yet so often we are encumbered by the trappings of this world. You see, we haven't been removed. A lot of us wish, a lot of us wish that once we became believers, we would be translated immediately to heaven. Wouldn't that be great? But Jesus is addressing that desire on our part specifically. He says, I am praying that you not take them. I am praying not that you take them out of the world. Jesus isn't asking God to take us out of the world. He wants us to stay here. Why? So we can bring glory to him. And he prays for our protection from the evil one to ensure that. His prayer ensures that we can bring glory to him. You see, we wish this was heaven. 
But this world was not meant to be heaven. This world was not meant to be heaven. This world is a place where we come to Jesus and we grow in Jesus and we develop a relationship with Jesus and we become more like Jesus in spite of the world around us. And that's hard for us to do at times. We can't live by the standards of this world. And that's why he says he has given us his word. Notice, I have given, verse 14, them your word and the world has hated them. We have to live by a different standard and it's the standard of the word. Remember at the very beginning who Jesus is praying for? Those who have obeyed his word. He's given us God's word so that we can live by a different standard. And here it is. This is the standard. And that makes us different from the world rather than simply like the world. No, we don't become hermits. Our struggle is real, but we are protected from the evil one as we deal with the world around us for Jesus' glory. He gives us the Holy Spirit to do that. Pentecost, he gives us the Holy Spirit as our guard and as our seal. The Holy Spirit is like the Fort Knox for the believer. That's how strong our protection is, the guard and seal of our relationship with God. We are secure in Christ against the world. That's the bottom line for this point. We are secure in Christ against the world. Therefore, we can have joy and we can have unity in bringing Christ glory. It also gives us peace. Remember the words of Jesus before he started to pray, mentioned these last, last week. I'll mention them again today. Verse 33, 30, uh, 33 of chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 33. Remember what Jesus said before he started to pray. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. What wonderful introductory words. And he has overcome the world by the power of the name that he has been given, Jesus, and that we might be protected from the evil one. We are securing Christ against the world. Gives us great confidence. Great confidence in our own walk with him and in our witness for him because we have peace and we have joy and we have unity in bringing Jesus glory. Wow, probably could end the sermon here, but there's one more point. He prays for our protection. He also prays for our sanctification. And this is kind of the culmination of what the protection is all about. He protects us so that we can be sanctified, more like him. This is verses 16 through 19. Verses 16 through 19. I'll read all four of these verses again. They're fairly short. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart for God's purposes. That's what Jesus was. He sanctified himself ultimately in the cross because that was God's will for him. Sanctification 
is being set apart for God's use. Sometimes we talk about it in terms of being made holy. Holiness and sanctification have the same root Greek word. So sometimes we talk about sanctification as the process of becoming holy, being made holy even as God is holy, as opposed from the world, which is typically evil around us because it's ruled by the prince of this world, the evil one, even Satan. But notice how this sanctification takes place. It's by the truth, verse 17, your word is truth. We are sanctified by the word of truth because the word of truth counters the father of lies. You see the connection with the previous point? We're protected from the evil one, who is Satan, who is the father of lies. Well, the word of truth counters the lies that Satan would tell us. He can still influence us. He can put thoughts into our mind. In fact, many of you in Christ know that sometimes you get thoughts in your mind that clearly are not from God. Satan can do that. He can tempt us. He can give us impure thoughts. How are we to battle that when Satan harasses us? Because he does. It's by his word. Sanctify them, sanctify them, he prays, by the truth. Your word is truth. How much time do we spend in the word during the week? Five minutes, maybe in the morning each day? Half an hour, well, when I preach 40 minutes on Sunday morning, you know, and during the sermon. Had a, uh, a colleague at Trinity named Don Carson. He's written a lot of books. He used to use this as an illustration where he would say, you know, when we've had a rough day, we frequently talk about curling up with a good book to relax. Well, when's the last time we curled up with the good book? You know, we, we, we're kind of depressed. So maybe I'll watch a sitcom. Well, maybe I need to hear from God about what's depressing me. How much time do we really spend in the Word reading it? to get the full scope, studying it to understand a passage in depth, memorizing it so that we can pray the verses we have memorized when we are facing the trials of the world. Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. If that's how we are sanctified in dealing with this world, then the question is, by way of application, how much time do we spend with this book? It can always be more, even for me, even for pastors, even for seminary professors. It can always be more because that's what he uses to make us more like himself. Now, notice that this sanctification, though, is not just for ourselves. It is because we are sent ones, even as Jesus was sent. It is because we are sanctified for the work of Jesus. Notice here in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. He was sent into the world to become our Savior on the cross. And it was that cross that he refers to in verse 19 when he says, For them I sanctify myself, referring to the next day when he would be crucified. For them I sanctify myself to doing God's will. That, he says, they too may be sanctified that we may be transformed.
transformed. He's in the process of transforming us by the power of the Spirit that we might have effective ministry in glorifying Jesus. That's why we're being sanctified, not just for our own benefit, although there is much benefit to that, but for the benefit of others. He says, even as I sent even as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. That's why we're still here. That's why we're still here, to glorify Jesus in the presence of others. You see, we are sent ones as well as set-apart ones. We are being transformed for the purpose of ministry. And His sanctification is our sanctification and it's rooted in the cross. The power of the cross, which we'll celebrate in just a few minutes through the bread and the cup. His sanctification means our sanctification and it's rooted in the cross. We are set apart for Christ's work through His work and His word. Now, let me make some application here to us in terms of prayer. Again, this is Jesus praying. We've been listening. The disciples were listening. And his prayer should actually, in some ways, be instrumental in how we pray. Jesus was praying for himself in verses 1 through 5. Here he's praying for his disciples. How much time do we spend praying for ourselves as we spend praying for others? Now, there's a balance there. And yet we can be confident that he will protect us and sanctify us because we are already his. We've been given to him by the Father. And we're characterized by obedience to the word, believing that he was sent from the Father to become Savior, and because we are glorifying him. We can be confident that he will protect and sanctify us, but are we praying for the protection and sanctification of others? Or are we simply praying for their tangible needs? I, for one, don't pray enough that God would protect me. I succumb far too often. I, for one, don't pray far often enough for my sanctification. There are so many times where I do not think or act like Jesus. And if that's true for me, if I need to pray ultimately for my protection and ultimately for my sanctification, regardless of what's happening around me, then how much more do I need to pray for you all and for others that might yet come to Jesus, that Jesus would be at work in their lives, that he would be protecting us, and that he would be sanctifying us? Do we just pray for our tangible needs, our comfort? He does often give us blessings that are tangible, and we rejoice in that, right? I mean, we can all in this room give testimony to all of the tangible blessings that we have just by being here. And that's great, and we glorify Him for that. But ultimately, we need to recognize that we should be praying for our relationship with Him, becoming more like Him, and those same two truths for others. You know... Over the last 50 years, there's been a trend to an emphasis on the miraculous. And people praying for miracles, all kinds of miracles. Financial miracles, relational miracles, medical miracles, 
all kinds of miracles. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus still does miracles. God still does miracles. I, I'm a firm believer in that. We see miracles all around us all the time, and we praise him for that, and we glorify him for that. But in my understanding of his word and my own life, the greatest miracle of all is a transformed person. That's the greatest miracle of all. Because I know what it took to change me into a believer. And I know what it's taking now to make me more like Jesus. Not easy. I could never have done it. I cannot have confidence in my own abilities. I can only trust in God for that. The greatest miracle of all, and the one for which we should pray most and hardest, is that people's lives would be changed. That is the greatest witness we can have in a dying world, in a world that's opposed to the gospel. And that's what Jesus prays for here in our protection and in our sanctification. So, we can have confidence in the glory that we can bring Christ, and that results in a full experience of his peace, his joy, and in unity in witnessing for him. The full experience of his joy, of his peace, unity in witnessing for him. You see, does Jesus care about our troubles, about our trials? Of course he does. He cares about those. He died for us. But he cares most of all for our protection and sanctification as believers in him. And Jesus continues to pray for us. This is... This is this is wonderful. Jesus didn't just pray here before he was crucified. He continues to pray for us even after his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the throne of God. He continues to pray for us. The writer of Hebrews says this, Hebrews 7.25, He is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Referring to Jesus here, the writer of Hebrews, referring to Jesus, He is able to save completely those who come to God through him, that means save us from our sins, save us from Satan, save us from spiritual death. He is able to save completely our justification, sins forgiven. Save completely sanctification, being like him. Saved completely glorification when he returns and heaven becomes a reality at that point. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He is still interceding for us today. And I will assure you that this is the heart of his prayer for us even today at God's right hand. Because he always lives to intercede for us. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? We can have confidence in Jesus. Confidence in our security in this world. Confidence in our sanctification in this world. In that it becomes a triumphant faith. We are overcomers in our faith. But it's for His glory, even as it is also for our peace and joy and witness. We want to turn our attention now to communion. Because... As you have probably noticed already, I've referred several times to the cross. The cross is the root of our sanctification. 
the cross and the victory over the cross is the root of our protection. And so we want to turn our attention to a celebration of what Jesus has done for us and then what he continues to do for us by his grace. Let me say this. You should participate in this celebration of the Lord's Supper if you meet the three criteria of this passage. Are you seeking to obey his word? Do you believe that he was sent from God, that he is your Savior? And are you seeking to bring glory to him? That's the criteria today for partaking in communion. You're seeking to obey his word. You believe that he was sent from God to become your Savior on the cross and that you're seeking to glorify him. If that's true of you today, welcome to the table. Welcome to the table. Partake with us of the bread and the cup. And as we partake of the bread and cup, we want to spend a moment or two simply in silence and in quiet reflecting on how God is at work in our lives. If you haven't done so yet, pull that little clear tab off the cup, just the clear tab, and underneath is the wafer. We'll be silent for a few moments, and then I will give the words of institution for the bread, and we will partake of the bread. Remember, the bread signifies the body of Christ. The body of Christ, which was broken for us, took the pain and suffering that we deserve on the cross. It should have been us on that cross. But Jesus took that for us. His body, his body was broken that we might be redeemed. Let's pray silently for just a few minutes, moments. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace in Jesus. We thank you that you do cleanse us and that you fill us with your spirit that we might serve you. Father, even as we partake of this bread that represents the body of Christ, may the reality of his sacrifice be evident to us. The Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed, gave thanks. And he took bread, and he broke the bread. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
And now you will want to take the cup and carefully peel back the pink flap. You can lift up the tab and pull it back carefully so that you don't spill it all over your shirt. That is sticky glue. And as we partake of the cup, let's remember that the cup represents the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ, which was shed on the cross for the remission of sins. Scripture tells us that there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood, and yet the blood of Christ will never lose its power for our forgiveness. As we partake of the cup, let's remember the blood of Christ shed for us. In the same manner, also, Jesus, after they had eaten, took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this celebration of your grace, for this celebration of your goodness to us in giving your Son to die in our place, to pay the penalty for our sins, to redeem us from spiritual death, to redeem us from the powers of Satan. Heavenly Father, Continue to remind us this week of our relationship with you rooted in the cross. And Father, let us live in that resurrection power, the power of the Spirit, as we are confident in our protection by the name of Jesus from the evil one and our sanctification by your word for the work of glorifying him. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.